turn to the Scriptures this morning, and uh, I'd like to have two readings. Before we get to 1 Samuel 6, I'd like to add Joshua chapter 9. In your pew Bible, it might be page 255, Joshua 9. So we're going a little out of our series. I was dealing with Ruth, preaching from Ruth for a bit, but uh, the consistories um, encouraged me to now and then go back to the home visit theme, let's say once a month, and touch on the fear of God. And uh, here's Joshua 9 in connection with that, 1 Samuel 6 in connection with that. So here, the word of God in Joshua 9. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland and on all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight, against, uh, fight with Joshua in Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors, and they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us. How can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you? Where do you come from? So they said to him, From a very far country, your servants have come. Because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, Take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants, now therefore make a covenant with us. The bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. And now look, it's dry and moldy. And these wineskins which were, we filled with new, see, they are torn. And these garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And it happened at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. And the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chephirah, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jairim. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the rulers said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation, 
as the rulers had promised them. And Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We have, are very far from you when you dwell near us? Now therefore you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you, therefore we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. Now, here we are in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation, for the altar of the Lord, in the place which he would choose even to this day. Let's turn now to 1 Samuel chapter 6, page 316. I'll give you some context. 1 Samuel 4, David, um, oh, this is the time of Samuel and David. Uh, in 1 Samuel 4, the Ark of Israel is captured. The Israelites have used the Ark of Israel kind of like a good luck charm. They brought it onto the battlefield and they thought they were going to win the battle because they moved the Ark of the Covenant of God onto the battlefield. And it turns out they absolutely were defeated. 3,000 people died. Um, and the Ark of the Covenant was taken into Philistine territory. The glory of God departed. That's, that's how 1 Samuel went. And so let's turn to 1 Samuel 6, because here's the return. Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. So they said, If, we, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel... Do not send it empty, but by all means return it to him with a trespass offering, that you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then they said, What is the trespass offering which we shall return to him? They answered, Five golden tumors and five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of you and on all your lords." Therefore you shall make images of your tumors and images of your rats that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods and from your land. Why then did you harden your hearts? Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and the Pharaoh hardened their hearts when he did mighty things among them? Did they not let the people go that they might depart? Now therefore make a new cart. Take two milk cows which have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them. Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart and put the articles of gold which you are returning to him as a trespass offering in a chest by its side. Then send it away and let it go. And watch. If it goes up by the road to its own territory, to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us this great evil. But if not, 
then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. Then the men did so. They took two milk cows and hitched them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And they set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chest with the gold rats and the images of their tumors. Then the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh and went along the highway lowing as they went and did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted their eyes and saw the ark, and rejoiced to see it. And the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and stood there. A large stone was there, so they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the chest that was with it, in which were the articles of gold, and put them on the large stone. Then the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices the same day to the Lord. So when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. These are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. And the golden rats, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, five for, uh, both fortified cities and country villages, even as far as, ways as the large stone of Abel on which they set the ark of the Lord, which stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. Then he struck the men of Beth Shemesh, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,000. Actually, I should read this. The Hebrew says he struck 70 men, 50,000 men of the people. There's a little bit of confusion. One day I'd like to know exactly what it means, but uh, your translation might say 70 men. Your translation might say 50,000 or both. Anyway, he struck 50,000 and 70 men of the people and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall it go from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jairim, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down. Take it up with you. Then the men of Kiriath-Jairim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was, with the ark, so it was that the ark remained in Kiriath-Jairim a long time. It was there twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And that's our reading this morning. After the sermon, we're going to sing Psalm 97, verses 1, 2, and 3. The congregation, loved by Jesus Christ our Lord, the hand of the Lord was heavy upon the Philistines. As we were reading this, uh, we didn't read the previous chapter, but chapter 5 was really describing all the plagues. God's hand was heavy upon the Philistines, and Dagon, their God, the God of the Philistines, had stooped 
and fallen. There was all kinds of disease and death, and the Philistines were asking, how can we get the ark of the covenant of God out of here? How can we get rid of God? The Philistines had one way of responding to the presence of the Lord. They assumed, and they, they rightly so, we are not able to stand before the Lord. To give you an idea of where we're going, toward the end of this chapter, we're going to see a second way of responding. There, the ark comes back to Israel, and the Israelites learn the hard way. We also can't stand before such a God. And finally, there will be our third point. The Gibeonites are somehow able to stand before such a God. How did the, how did the Gibeonites manage this? So it's a sermon about the fear of God because the Gibeonites have the fear of God in them. How can we stand before such a God Think about that. How can our prayers be heard by such a holy God? How can we gather to worship the Lord and be acceptable before the Lord? Who can stand? Who can stand on that great day of judgment that's coming when Christ returns with the clouds? Who can stand? That's an all-important question. And here's the message. When the ark of the Lord returns who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? We're going to see that only those who fear God will be able to stand. Not the fearful Philistines, because that's all they have is fear alone. Not the joy-filled Israelites, because all they have is joy alone. Joy and excitement. But it's only the faithful Gibeonites. They have the fear of God in them. Let's begin with the Philistines. We began our reading this morning with them, how these enemies of Israel, they were making plans to get rid of the Lord, get rid of the ark of the Lord. That gold covenant, that, that gold-covered box, remember the cherubim angels mounted on the top? That was the source of all their troubles. Verse 2, the Philistines said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? And they consulted the wisest people that they had, the diviners, the priests that they had. And what we heard, it's actually quite impressive. Right? These unbelieving Philistines, they had a lot of things figured out. A lot of religious know-how. Because they were coming up with the idea of trespass offerings. Like guilt offerings. It means they were confessing something of guilt and sin. They didn't want to harden their hearts. That's another thing. You catch that in the notes there. Um, they didn't want to harden their hearts the way that they heard the Israelites, um, the way the Egyptians had done, the way Pharaoh had done in Egypt. Let's not harden our hearts. It's like they had done their homework, these Philistines. They knew something about propitiation. Great word. God's wrath removal. Propitiation. We got to get rid of God's anger upon us. We need some kind of atonement. Never mind that the Ark of the Covenant actually has a lid on top called the atonement cover. Mercy seat, maybe, in your translation. 
We need some costly sacrifice. They would use plenty of gold. They also knew that the leaders, leaders are more responsible than the average person in, in, among the people. Leadership can be to blame. That's a theme that uh, shows up in the book of Samuel. And God is coming up with a leader after his own heart. And so here you have the leaders, they, in the Philistine camp, they make the greatest sacrifice. Everything is done according to the number of the lords or the masters of the Philistines. And one more thing that shows up, what's really important, is they know that they must give glory to God. That's verse 5, give glory to the God of Israel. The point is, with a bit of research, these Philistines got a lot right. A lot of intuition that they have. Research. The light of nature is at work in them. Canons of Dort, chapter 3, 4, article 4. Um, in the Confessions we have a, an article called The Light of Nature. There is a glimmer. There's, a, there's stuff left, even after the fall, that people know something about right and wrong and what's acceptable. And yeah, it's hit or miss because here are these golden tumors and rats. That would be unclean, wouldn't it? Not exactly the best sacred offering. And for atonement, God called for blood, not gold. You, you can understand, though. Give, give the Philistines a break. They weren't taught everything the Israelites were taught. And so they might get a few details wrong, but here's the point. The Philistines, they don't get God a little bit wrong. They get God wrong in a huge way. Because whatever they have put together, they do not know the God of Israel. Whatever they've understood, they are only afraid of God. Fear alone. And they were right to be afraid. They were right to confess God's power and His might, but they were merely afraid, like afraid by itself. And they didn't move closer to God to see His face. And of all things, they have the Ark of the Covenant of Israel in front of them. The Ark in, in, in the very temple of Israel was meant to picture the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God who wants to dwell among His people. It's His footstool. I'm committed to live with you. These Philistines, they humbled themselves and they offered costly gifts of gold. They did their research, but they didn't worship the one true God. They didn't want Him to be king. God's power would upset their kingdom power of Philistia. They didn't want to humble themselves permanently. They didn't want to have to be thoroughly reformed, transformed. It would upset their entire religion. They didn't want to know this God. So they suppressed the truth by their unrighteousness. We want Him out of here. Maybe you know people like the Philistines. Maybe you know of some neighbor, co-worker, who's not absolutely in the dark. They come up with a lot of true things. A lot of truth about God. 
the light of nature that's within them. And you don't have to prove that they're utterly in the dark. They're not absolutely blind. Look at the Philistines in our text. Though they have a lot right, they're very far from God. And they want God far from them. It's quite common. You do your thing over there. You have your religion over there. I'd rather not have it here in my life. And you see the Philistines, they want to get rid of the hand, the power of God in their life. They don't want His might and His power and His judgment to affect them. And a lot of people have this kind of fear, this running away from God kind of fear. You can understand it. There are people, even Christian people, who've grown up with fear in their lives, harsh, authoritarian Let's say selfish fathers, maybe loud and angry mothers. And the only hand of power that they have experienced are people that press down on them in judgment. There's a tendency to back away from God and say, well, that's, that's probably who God is like, right? Like the people I know who are harsh. Maybe that's the what God is like, judgmental. Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? Don't get it wrong. You might doubt that the Lord hears your prayer. You might doubt that He would welcome you into His presence. That you could somehow be acceptable and pleasing in His sight. You might doubt all that. Because of the fear of God, the running away kind of fear. Who can stand before the Lord? Not these ones. Not these Philistines who are afraid and running. They can't stand because although they know about the powerful hand of God, they don't know the heart of God. Let's go to our second point. Because here... You, you might think, this is good. The joyful Israelites. You might think this is an improvement. They're excited and happy and glad to have the ark of God back. The Israelites, they know something about the Lord. And they are rejoicing. But our second point is going to be depressing because the Israelites can't stand before the Lord either. They only rejoice in what benefits they can get from God. And they haven't really changed. They still have God on their own terms. If you were an Israelite back in those days, working in the grain field back at that town of Beth Shemesh, you would have heard those cows coming. The two cows mooing or lowing, because lowing is what cows do when they're sad. The Philistines had separated these milk cows from their calves to see if by some miracle God would bring the ark back. And it definitely was a miracle, wasn't it? Cows that are untrained never had a yoke on their back, never pulled a cart before. That's one level of the miracle. Unbroken. And they're pulling a cart. Cows that have their calves locked up 
cows that are full of milk that would love to have their calves drink. And the calves, they can hear them. The cows can hear the calves calling. Here's the miracle. These two cows go straight toward Israel. No one was whipping them. And you see the mighty hand of God in our chapter. You see this mighty procession. I want you to imagine this as a procession like the kings used to do back in the day. After a great victory, after destroying all their enemies in battle, there would be a parade. And you have to think of this procession. You've been to a parade before. And there's all kinds of honking. Except, no, it's not trumpets. It's cows. Making the noise up front. You have the king. You have all the plunder. All the enemies chained up like slaves at the rear. You think of Psalm 68 verse 18. You ascended on high leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. And here's God's procession with the Ark of the Covenant. Creatures pulling it. In submission, the cows mooing to herald his approach. Then came the ark. God's very symbol of commitment. His committed love to his people. Then came all the plunder. All the gold. Each of the Philistine lords offering a golden tumor. Each town and village submitting their offering. Some rat or golden mouse. So here's the procession. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and all the Philistines are bowing. If you look in the distance behind, you will see the Philistine rulers following and trembling and afraid. Their only hope was that God would leave them. Now what about the Israelites? Are they able to stand before the Lord, the Holy God? And it might look as quite a surprise and hopeful first. Optimistic. Look at the joy and excitement. Verse 13, when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. They split up the wood of the ark. They offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites were there. This is good news because the Levites were trained in handling the ark. They knew God's law. But no. It's the short answer. The Israelites are not able to stand before the Lord, this holy God. Verse 19. God struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men, 50,000 men of them, and he struck them with a great slaughter. We need to see this point that the Israelites had all of this excitement Joy, and it was not the fruit of the Spirit kind of joy, because what's missing is the fear of God. They, they lack the awesome respect for God. They looked upon the ark. Well, it's not exactly clear. They did something about the ark. Maybe they looked inside or looked upon. It doesn't even have to be any of that. Just compare what you know about the Philistines with what the Israelites are doing. What the Philistines, what were they doing? 
they were thinking twice about everything they did. They moved slowly, the Philistines did. Carefully, thoughtfully, they did their research. And now you look at the Israelites and what are they? They're careless. They're casual. They're shrugging things off. They're offering cows instead of bowls. Okay, no big deal. And, and brothers and sisters, it might be easy for them to make this mistake because everything about the Ark of the Covenant of God has been that God insists on dwelling with His sinful people, that God loves His people. And the Ark has its atonement cover, the mercy seat. You hear? God's love, God's mercy. That he would turn away his wrath by the sprinkled blood of the Lamb. It's easy for the Israelites to forget the fear of the Lord. It's easy to think that God's heavy hand is only for, for those Philistines. Isn't this common today? In the first point, you hear about people that are fearful of God and just wish that He would go away. But now, our second point, isn't this even more common in our day? Believing God is hosting every one of our parties? You read so-called Christian books, God is basically cheering for you. God just wants you to be happy. God just wants to help you out. It's easy today. There are many Christians who, who think fearing God is an Old Testament thing. That now, because of Jesus Christ, there's no need to tremble before God's majesty. Right? You just quote 1 John 4 or something and it should solve it. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. That settles it. And you have the true ark of God. You have Jesus Christ who took away God's wrath. What's the big deal if I do this or say this or watch that or think this? If you ask, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? Nowadays, what's the answer? Most people say, everyone. I mean, who can't? God loves everyone. God is here to bless everyone. And so God has become harmless, it seems. As if the mighty hand of God only counts for those Old Testament days, or only for other kinds of people, it seems. Let me be direct on this. In the New Testament, you read it carefully. Our God is the same. In the New Testament, God speaks to His people. Remember Jesus saying this? Luke 12, verse 5, I tell you whom you should fear. Jesus telling us to fear the Lord God. Philippians 2, verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God's at work in you. Think of the many pictures of our Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. Does Jesus look harmless in the book of Revelation? The lion of the tribe of Judah, the rider of the white horse who goes about conquering and he has a sword in his right hand and a, sword, a double-edged sword coming from his mouth. 
Think of Hebrews 12, verse 28. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. There's the word fear built in there. For our God is a consuming fire. Look carefully then how you walk. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Walk circumspectly. Like that word. Think carefully how you walk. Our second point is that the Israelites have only this joy and this excitement. And it's shallow because it has no fear of God. All this excitement that they had seven months earlier when they had tried to manipulate God. You know, chapter 4 referred to that. That they were bringing in the ark into the battlefield as they were losing before the Philistines. They're like, ah, I know how to win. We can win this. We're going to bring the ark of God onto the battlefield. And God was their little servant. And it's no different here. They're still in the same mindset. Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? First answer, of course us. All of us. And then the sobering realization when people have looked upon the ark or into the ark and there's so many dead. There's great calamity. They've come to think, oh, that means no one can stand. If we can't stand, no one can stand before the presence of God. But let's go to our third point. Let's meet the Gibeonites. And you're going to say, well, our text doesn't even say Gibeonite. There's, there's no word like Gibeon even. It doesn't speak of Gibeah. That's why we read from Joshua 9, because it mentions Kiriath Jairam, which is one of the Gibeonite cities. That town belonged to the Gibeonites. And who are the Gibeonites? Well, Joshua 9 spelled that out for you. Remember how the Gibeonites knew that they were about to be absolutely destroyed. As Joshua and the army of Israel was coming toward the land of Canaan, they heard the reports. And they were afraid of God. They trembled. These Gibeonites, they came up with this clever trick. Deception. They wanted to live. So they pretended to come from thousands of miles away. They're like, oh, Israel probably wouldn't mind having a treaty if we're from some faraway country that doesn't even border Canaan. Maybe we can get them into a covenant. Maybe they will promise to never kill us. That would be our only hope. So the Gibeonites managed to deceive Israel, and of course Israel and Joshua himself had not consulted the Lord, had not asked the Lord, so they were totally duped. Now, that backstory is so important because here are the Israelites, the men of, the men of Israel, the leaders of Israel, they're like, we are in a real mess. Look at all the people who have died in Israel. Beth Shemesh, so many slaughtered because they've looked upon the ark. What do we do now? We're stuck with the ark of God. And they have a solution. 
Let's call the bomb disposal squad. Yeah, that's the Gibeonites. What do we got to lose? Those Gibeonites, they're the outsiders. We promised to uh, make them water carriers, woodcutters. Let's use them. They're not even Israelites. They can clean up this mess. Let them haul the Ark of the Covenant of God. Let them manage it. The Gibeonites are the bomb disposal squad. They're the minesweepers. Let them take up the ark. And you need to see this faithfulness of Kiriath-Jairim. The Gibeonites, they know the fear of God. And they hope in Him. That's faith. Because these unbelievers, these outsiders, I wouldn't say unbelievers, these are not real Jews. They're not really of God's people. These are like Gentiles who get it. They fear God and they come toward Him. They knew judgment was coming, but they they see the judgment as so huge that there is zero escape except in the middle, in the eye of the storm. They knew how to fear God. They knew the only way of escape, the only way of peace was toward God, in God. And it's the fear instead of running away that they run to the Lord. That's the faith. They trust that in some way, if God would make a covenant, that His people would keep it. That would be our way of escape. And that's the old story. When they pretended to be from a far off land, they ran toward danger. Because they assumed something. That there is a possibility of hope within God Himself. You see the leader of the Gibeonites, his name is Abinadab. He consecrated his son Eliezer to have charge of the Ark of the Lord. That's an interesting procedure. Now, I don't know if you would find it Exodus or Leviticus, but consecration. That's what you do to prepare to approach the most holy God. Every son of Aaron in the ministry as a priest would have to be consecrated. That would be cleansed. There would be a length of deliberate procedure set apart from everything unholy and impure, everything that would remind them of death. And they would be sanctified. They would be holy for the Lord. Their garments washed. So there's nothing careless about Abinadab setting up his son, Eliezer. You have charge. But do not take the Lord lightly. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12, 14 says. So, brothers and sisters, here's the point. Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? We sang Psalm 15. Psalm 24 says the same thing. Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. In other words, those who fear the Lord... 
And they have hope and they run toward the most terrifying one in the universe. They run toward the Lord knowing that as they become holy, God is preparing to meet them. God, the Lord Himself, prepares to meet you because He loves you. In Jonah, Jonah goes to Nineveh eventually and he preaches to them. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. It seemed to sum up the, sum up the entire sermon. Yet 40 days and you guys are going to be destroyed. And based on that message, the entire city of Nineveh is saying, perhaps... It's literally in the Bible. Perhaps the Lord would change his mind. Perhaps there's something in the Lord that would make him not destroy us. And that's the fear of God. It's the ones who don't run away from God, but run toward God and say, perhaps it's in your heart, Lord. Perhaps you would have mercy upon us, Lord. Perhaps you would find it in yourself. So you have the Ark of the Covenant of God returned to the land of Israel and it's in this town of Curious Jairim where the Gibeonites have it. And the Ark of the Covenant of God is a testimony, a clear message, a picture. It's a mechanical picture, physical illustration of Jesus Christ Himself. Emmanuel, God with us. You see the Ark of the New Testament, Jesus Christ is God, He's dwelling with man. Do you believe in Him? Because it's not enough to fear Him. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? It's not enough to be like the Philistines, to fear His judgment, to tremble at His power. And it's not enough to be excited. It's not enough to be joyful that God dwells with His people. We saw that in the Israelites. But this is faith to come to Him, rushing to Him, trusting that He would love you, that He would lift you up. Because this is faith, that you prepare yourself to meet your maker, trusting that he's prepared to meet you first by the blood of Christ Jesus. Because Christ Jesus died for you, you are holy, you are acceptable, you're consecrated. So who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? Whose prayers are heard? Whose worship is acceptable? Those who fear the Lord. Those who truly fear the Lord. Amen.